right. This is not the same bald head that you're used to. This is, I'm Chad. Jeremy's on a little fall break, as many of you are heading out to, I hope, this week, or maybe it's a staycation for you, whatever you choose, all right? But uh, I want to do something. I want to read the scripture, and I'm going to ask you to do something you may not be used to. I feel like There's college football Saturday, and many of us stand up during a college football game. We can stand up for the reading of God's Word, all right? So if you're able, would you please stand? Bear with me here. So I'm going to read, beginning in verse uh, Luke 22, verse 31. It says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you, this Jesus talking, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And then picking up in verse 54... Then they seized him, him being Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman... I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times in verse 62. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let me pray for us and then you can have a seat. Father, thank you for the gift truly of this morning, the gift of just waking up and taking a breath and And Father, thank you for just beautiful weather, and thank you for seasons changing. And Father, whatever it is that we bring in here, Father, would you just do your work, and would we leave here better than we came in? And so, Father, we lift that up to you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk about today, I'm just going to tell you where we're going. We're talking about writing your own memoir. All right, writing your own memoir, formation and fire, and how to tend the fire of your soul over the long haul. All right, what if you were given the task to write your own memoir or biography? You would discover life is much more complicated and complex. It would require an interrogation of your soul and even your memories. You become your own journalist in many ways, interviewing others close to you, discussing past events, and even researching the world around you in that moment. Memories are never just scenes remembered, but instead these moments become portals in time. 
You see, one memory unlocks another memory. It may be the smell of cigarette smoke on your mother's shirt or the smell of blood from a chainsaw accident with a neighbor. I'm sharing my own memoir here, okay? Or the taste of the candy apple from a fall festival or the smell of dirt and playing with your G.I. Joes, like the legit G.I. Joes, not the ones being sold now, all right? The sound of the gravel as your dad backs out of that driveway. It's the smell of opening a new pack of baseball cards and flipping through the cards and then chewing that dry piece of gum that's been in there for God knows how long, all right? It's the feel of the wooden bat and the grip of your hands. For me, it's the sound of 90s hip-hop on the way to school. By the way, uh, my kids, when I take them to school, we have Tupac Tuesday, I must admit, in my car. And we have uh, Throwback Thursday where we hit Notorious B.I.G. All edited. But my heart was warm last week when my daughter leaned over to my youngest son and explained the feud between Tupac and Biggie. All right? It just gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling as to why the East Coast, West Coast didn't like each other. Neither here nor there. For Peter, what must his memoir have been like? In fact, the Gospel of Mark is believed to be written by the hand of John Mark, but being told from Peter's own memory. You see, Peter was in the room while John Mark is writing this eyewitness account. One memory unlocks another memory. It was his memoir of this deep connection to this man named Jesus and how his life was never the same. He remembers the look of this God-man Jesus inviting him to throw away his nets and become a fisher of men. It was a look of intimacy and trust from day one. Fast forward, he remembers the chilly night roughly three years later in April, warming his hands around the fire and the smell of the charcoal. He will never forget this evening. It is the sound of the rooster crowing. And he would hear many other roosters crow over his lifetime. And I promise you, that memory would unlock another memory. But it is the look from his friend and soon-to-be savior held by the chief priests and officers of the temple that left this indelible mark on his life while he was sitting warming his hands around the fire. That look he will never forget. And I will argue it was that look that kept tending the fire deep in his soul. Listen to what one author writes when she wrote her own memoir. She says, some of the strongest memories don't just describe how something happened. They reveal something larger about the world the author and reader share. Even if they don't share it and then catch this, frequently the writer's biggest revelations uncover or unlock something the audience didn't know was deep inside of them. Would you be able to read your own memoir? My psychologist, this spirit-filled woman I started doing some work with four years ago, I'll never forget my third session in, all right? I went to counseling as a kid, hated it, did it for two sessions, that was it. But I remember her asking me in that third session, she goes, Chad, today I need you to sit 
And I'm going to share with you your own story. And the life, my life has not been a honeymoon. And that was one of the most difficult hours in my life was to hear this story. I'm really good at hearing other people's stories. But I'm not so good at hearing my own memoir be read to me. Is that your case? See, I believe a moment like Peter's unlocks something deep inside ourselves that we are prone to deny the one we love or even betray the one we love. For the men in this room, and this is not that the ladies are immune to this, but I believe this runs deep and maybe one could argue it is etched in our DNA as men that we have a history of running away when things get tough. We deny responsibility, we blame others, we fail to keep promises, and even we sell out in the face of temptation. There's a history here. Like Peter, we appear to be overconfident. I would never betray the one I love. Deny any responsibility. Break a promise or fall in the face of temptation. Are you starting to feel the warmth of the fire? See, the question is, how do we respond when we do fall? Because we, we will fall. It's not an if, it's a when. I remember as a freshman in high school being invited to hang out with some seniors. Now, these weren't just any seniors. They were the popular seniors, and there were some cheerleaders trickled in this crew. And so I was all about it. Like, let's hang out tonight. And so the idea was to go to the football game. It was a Friday night. But then the seniors said, I was in the car, didn't have a choice. I was, again, I was tagging along. And they said, well, we've got to stop by the mall. And I'm like, what are we doing? All right. But I'm with the seniors. And so we go into the mall. And they're in there. And they're trying on clothes. And they're doing all this stuff. And yes, it felt weird to me. Because I'm like, why in the world are we at the mall? You know? And so they come out. And they end up, one of them hands me a bag full of clothes. And they said, hey, you can go ahead and walk out to the cars. We'll be out in just a minute. So this group of seniors comes out. I'm outside holding the bag next to the car. They come out. They're giving high fives. They start grabbing clothes out of the bag and then they're starting to unbuttoning their shirts and there's clothes underneath their shirts and that's when I realized they had given me an entire bag of stolen clothes and I'm like man I'm just along for the ride and we go to the football game we go to a house afterwards and that next week I mean I am sick to my stomach until one day I sat down with my mother and I just had to confess what I had done. And I'll never forget that look on mom's face. It was a look of understanding. It didn't make what I was a part of any less wrong. But it was that look of understanding that I needed in that moment. I couldn't tell you what happened honestly with all of that. But I just remember the shame beginning to heal. Some of us attempt to rationalize what we have done because of our own human weakness. What was I supposed to do? It was me against them. I mean, I was a freshman. Maybe it's just looking at an image. It's not like it's an actual person. 
I mean, it was just one click late at night. Everyone cuts corners. I'm entitled to this. I have needs. She understands me. I have way too much going on at work. It was just one drink. What did you expect me to do? Sin is still sin, and the rooster still crows. But do not miss this. It's not the end of the story. You see, there is a love for Jesus deep in our soul. And there are still embers in our soul waiting to be stoked. Every year, I take my oldest son backpacking here in about three, four weeks. Backpacking, and we camp for a night, typically late fall, early winter. And there's just something about fire deep in the woods. I mean, we take in some nice food. This is a big deal. When my son turned 10, as my oldest, this is something I've wanted to do. So when all my kiddos turn 10, this is what we will get to do. And, uh, and last year, we took in some fresh-caught walleye. We took in some steak. We took in vegetables, and we cook over the fire. Needless to say, Daddy is packing a lot more than that 10-year-old boy. All right? Let me just be clear on that. But we enter the woods a lot heavier than we leave. But it's the preparation of the food and fire. It's finding and cutting the wood. The fire always seems when you're that deep in the woods, it's still an act of grace. And so there's just something so special. I mean, you're showing up, but it requires something else to initiate the first flame. And then it's simply tending the fire. And there is nothing like sitting around the fire with my son and the stars above. But it's waking up that next morning. And you unzip the tent and it's chilly and there's a little frost on the tent. But you get outside and I just go stoke those embers and then you see the smoke and then the fire just picks back up. That's what I'm talking about. It's when the tiny flame turns into a big flame. You see, the question becomes, how do we tend the fire of our soul over the long haul? There are always embers to be stoked. Remember the words of the author, the writer's biggest revelations uncover or unlock something the audience didn't know was inside of them. This is what the gospel writers do in all four of their gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, they unlock something deep inside of ourselves as the reader. Luke points out for the reader the look that Peter sees on Jesus' face when he catches his eye around the fire. It says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I've been in that space, literally. Had the opportunity to be in Israel right outside of the high priest's house. And I've sat in that very courtyard that Peter would have sat around the fire warming his hands. And you can see where Jesus would have been held captive and he would have made the march across the courtyard. And you can picture the crowd and right in the middle of the crowd, of course, he would see a fire. It's at night. And he makes eye contact with Peter's Peter's eyes. 
You see, this word for look is the same word that Luke, as the author of Acts, in Acts 3-4, will use. It says, when Peter and John were going up to the temple to pray, and a lame beggar was outside the temple, catch this, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Can you imagine being in that moment? You see, this this look that Luke talks about is staring at someone intently. I want you to see me looking at you. It is a look that serves as a portal into another realm. It is looking into the non-physical realm so a person in the physical realm can take the next right step. They saw, literally saw Jesus at work, something that the lame beggar couldn't see. And they speak to him. And Jesus of Nazareth told us to tell you to rise up and walk. And can you imagine how his look must have changed? Seeing that look in their eyes, a look that says, I can trust you. And he walks. You see, sometimes when we look someone in the eyes, the greatest act of love we can give someone else is when we actually pay attention to them as if they're the only person in the room. It's a game changer. He's very intentional with this word. He only uses it four or five times throughout Luke and throughout the the Acts. I remember the look from my mother, not the look I talked about earlier, but the look the morning I was doing dishes before work. And she asked me this question, two questions. Chad, have you ever drank before? I was 17 years old. And did you drink last night? I'm like, in my mind, does Coors Light even count? All right? Because I had two Coors Lights the night before with a buddy of mine. As my back was turned and being a very sucky liar, let me just be really honest, I have never scrubbed one dish so hard for so long than that, but I'll never forget turning around, looking at my mother, tears in her eyes, and she says those words that no one wants to hear, I am so disappointed in you. And I'm like, man, I need that look that day I told you about the guys who stole the clothes, you know, but it was a look of disappointment. This is not the look Peter receives from Jesus. This was a look of love and understanding. It was a look of deeper invitation and challenge, a look that seeks to bless and not curse. This look unlocked the memory moments before around the table celebrating Passover when the hour was drawing near for the Son of Man to be betrayed and crucified. They did not understand it then, but Peter understands it now. And he remembers those words of Jesus. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. 
Let me pause here for a moment. It is important that we see what Jesus sees and understands about the two realms. You see, Jesus could see into the unseen realm and the seen. There were two rebellions. There was a rebellion in the heavenly realm with the angels wanting to be on the throne and the angels falling away, and we know those angels now to be demons. And then there was the realm, the physical realm, where Jesus entered into and took on flesh and felt the weight of this realm. And both realms are rebelling actively. And Jesus plants himself right in the middle. Please don't miss this. The enemy does not care whether you recognize him or acknowledge him at all. All he wants to do is to seek, kill, and destroy any seed of intimacy and trust you may have with Jesus of Nazareth. That is what he seeks to do, leaving us soaking in our own shame. I wish we had more time here, but it's important that you understand the word that Luke is using. It is a look that clearly sees into both realms. Can Jesus really be trusted? Can you trust that look? Open family wounds become portals for the enemy to plant doubt that you can actually be loved. Trauma not dealt with gives way to addiction. We will do anything to forget or suppress. Past sin remains drenched in shame and disappointment. Unanswered prayers become seeds of suspicion of God's character. A look of disappointment from others become a repeated scene never to be deleted in our minds. You see, people who feel guilt towards someone they hurt, their tendency is to move towards the person they hurt. But people who feel shame towards someone they hurt move away from the person they hurt. This is what you often see with addiction. And you think that it's you. But I'm telling you, you have to understand both realms. Because there is a voice going on that says you need to isolate. This is who you are. See, that's the delineation between guilt and shame. Guilt is something that you do and you feel bad. Shame tells you this is exactly who you are. And you go into hiding. And folks, that has been the tactic, tactic of the enemy since page three of the Bible. They hid Adam and, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. They trusted the enemy, meaning they could not, in that moment, would not trust the look of the creator God who gave them everything. And what do they do? They run and they hide in what? In shame. And God, like he always has done, comes pursuing them in that moment. 
notice what Jesus does next. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. This still gives me chills. And when you have turned again, Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, we talk a lot about faith in Jesus, but Jesus tells Peter that he has faith in him. Peter's ultimate humiliation and seeing the look on Jesus' face became Peter's ultimate source of healing. He would never forget that look. That look provided the warmth and understanding the fire could not. That look provided the, the space for Peter to grieve and not like the worldly grief of just simply being found out, but it was a look that ultimately leads one to repentance. It is encountering the beautiful the beauty of Christ that one cannot ignore the ugliness of sin. Fleming Rutledge, she writes this, unless we look sin in the face, we can't possibly understand grace. Repentance is provoked when one looks upon the beautiful. When you see something beautiful, you just stop. The author Tom Holland, who wrote his book Dominion, in how Christianity has really shaped Western civilization, Tom has described himself as agnostic, but was recently asked by a friend of mine who lives in England at a book signing. My friend asked him, what did you learn in writing this book? And you know what he said? He paused for a moment and he said this, that I too need forgiveness. Did you ever stop to think that Jesus prays for you right in the middle of your doubt and even your betrayal? Can you consider for a moment that Jesus stops to look at you too with both the same love and the same understanding? And the question is, how do you respond? Can you trust Jesus in that moment? Some 30 years later, Peter will write in his letter to churches throughout the Roman Empire, and he writes this in 1 Peter 1, and I'm just going to read 6 and 7. Listen to, what, listen to what the more mature Peter writes some 30 years later. He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by, by various trials, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't tell me Peter was not reflecting on that moment around the fire. You may or may not be familiar with the process of metallurgy. It is a process of the extraction of metals in their purest form. You see, the metal is placed in a crucible that is heated. So what is impure begins to surface, leaving only the pure metal. You see, we have seasons that feel like crucibles. The depression or anxiety is at an all-time high. The loss of a loved one. Marriage is struggling. Job loss. One more failed pregnancy test. 
and one more dang political season. It's in that crucible that the true character, pure gold, is forged. You see, Peter never forgot that smell around the charcoal fire, but he never forgot the look on Jesus' face. He remembered the first invitation that was given to him, that same look he received that day when Jesus looked at him and he said, Hey, I want you to follow me and I want to help you become, guess what, fishers of men. This is the language that the biblical authors use throughout the New Testament. We are always becoming. We are always in process, being shaped and formed by this God-man Jesus and his teaching. That's what life looks like in the crucible. This is formation and fire. This is our salvation here and now. So how do we tend the fire of the soul? For the long haul. Well, number one, recognize that we didn't start the fire. Now, for some of us in the room, that taps into that Billy Joel deep inside of you, right? God always takes the initiative. I am so thankful that Peter's friend John, and you need to know something, their relationship was always a competition. In John's gospel, when they found out that Jesus had raised from the dead, John wants to point out that he beat Peter to the tomb. Like it's, it's this verse that you're just like, man, these dudes are human. And he's like, I just want everybody to know reading this generations after us that I beat Peter on the way to the tomb. I was faster than he was. But it's this post-resurrection story that John shares that I'm so grateful for in John 21. You see, Peter had a moment that probably wanted to get his mind off of a lot of things. And the one thing that he knew how to do and do it well was to fish. And he gets out on the Sea of Galilee, a place that he had fished, a place that he remembered. One memory unlocks another memory. And he had been out on that sea. And I've been on the Sea of Galilee And it is not as large as you think. And that's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. And so this is the place, truly, this is the place that Peter finds Jesus. But before he sees Jesus, it's the smell that's wafting across the sea. The smell of the charcoal fire. Because you see, the resurrected Jesus loved to eat. And he makes breakfast For Peter on the side, and he smelled that charcoal smell. John points that out. You see, he knew that this memory would unlock another memory. Why? Because he cared deeply for Peter. He wanted Peter to be strengthened. And so he makes breakfast. And Peter literally starts stripping off his clothes so he can get to the shore quicker. And he gets to the shore and he sees Jesus and he smells that fire. And immediately the memory is unlocked. And Jesus looks at him. Do you love me? You see this breakfast, anytime you share breakfast with somebody, it's intimate. This is Jesus, the friend. This was Jesus' prayer for Peter when you have turned toward me to strengthen your brothers. Jesus wants Peter to look at him and see him looking back. Jesus started the fire for Peter to return. And he wants to heal that memory so that the fire can continue throughout Peter's life. There are always embers waiting to be stoked. 
This requires a daily stoking the fire. We bring the wood, he brings the fire. It could be spending 10 minutes in his word daily, and that may be new for some of you, and that may be a challenge. Jesus did this beautiful thing of holding the tension between an invitation to be deeply connected to him, but he always gave a challenge in terms of taking the next step. And so for some of us, that next step could be, I'm going to commit to 10 minutes a day to just find myself in one of the gospels. And I would say, start with John, put yourself in the shoes of Peter. And see yourself learning about this man, Jesus. Seeing that look that he gave Peter, he also gives you, come and have breakfast with me. It could be praying a psalm. Jesus did this three times a day. Would pray the psalms. The psalms are like looking into someone's journal and they're painfully honest. They're painfully honest. David battled anxiety and depression like no other. I read a psalm every morning. It shapes and forms my mind. It shapes and forms my prayer life. Sometimes I don't know the words to say and the psalmist helps me get there. So I encourage you to read a psalm. Sometimes, listen to me, y'all ain't going to feel a thing. Chad told me to do this and I don't feel a thing. I promise you, I promise you the smoke is starting to happen. And that little flame becomes a bigger flame. But you have to start somewhere. Number two, friendship and fire. I had a good friend that is 20 plus years older than me. And for the last four years, he has been like inner circle for me. And he's battled cancer since 2014. And it's gotten worse over the the last six months. And these last three weeks, we have spent just a lot of time just laughing, crying together. You all, I have prayed for a miracle for six months. I get back from being out of town last weekend. I had just seen him on Thursday. We had a great visit at his house, on his deck, talking scripture, laughing, sharing stories, all of these things. And I'm on my way to his house on a Sunday night, and 15 minutes into my drive there, he passes. And I'll do that funeral this Friday. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never done a funeral for a friend. I did my own mother's funeral, but this one's different. Let me tell you what having an older friend in your life does. They're a bit more seasoned in friendship with Jesus. And they're a bit more seasoned in life in general. This is my favorite season. I love the fire red and pumpkin orange leaves. The yellows bursting brightly. But we know this season gives way to a colder season. Life, as we know, happens in seasons. There are some seasons that are harder than others. It's important to have someone in your life more seasoned, older than you. Why? Because they speak from a future that you don't think even exists. Because they've been through hard seasons. And it's not, 
It's not that they don't care. What they do for you is saying, come on, keep pushing. This season too will pass. Some of you, that's the word that you need to hear today. The season that you find yourself in, I promise you, will pass. And others of you are in a season that it's absolutely celebratory, like the colors bursting forth on the leaves. And to you, Jesus would say, amen. And enjoy it. You see, he affirms both seasons. It's who he is. And this is what Peter is writing for his readers. Some 30 years later, is now a well-seasoned shepherd, but also a recovering sinner, telling his readers to keep stoking the flame. He's talking about a faith going through the fire. He's talking about all the colors bursting forth. And he's talking about new life will come. This is tending the fire over the long haul. We come into a time of communion. Here's, here's what I love about communion because it can seem so common. And my challenge to you, really my invitation to you, is don't ever let this time become common. And this is a time where we picture ourselves around the table at that last supper. And Jesus talking about having this weird conversation about the bread representing his broken body. And the wine representing his blood that's been spilled out. And they do this. They break bread together. And they drink of that together. And yet moments later, one memory unlocks another memory because moments later they would reflect back on what appeared to be some weird vampire-like conversation to a conversation of their friend now turned savior. And he says, follow me. Three years after Peter will write this letter, 1 Peter. Three years, roughly. Tradition tells us, and history tells us, that his wife would be killed and that Peter himself would be crucified. And he says to those crucifying him, please crucify me upside down because I am not worthy to be crucified like my savior. And that's who he is. More importantly, that's who he has become. So for those who aren't following Jesus, this is a time for you to sit and you to reflect on the look that this Jesus gives to you. That in the midst of denial and disappointment or shame, he is looking intently at you saying, come and follow me and I will help you become. Let me pray for us. Father, I, um, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these 
for your memoir that's, that's really shared four different kind of angles and from four different witnesses. And God, I just, I thank you that these stories are recorded and are still changing our lives today. I thank you for one like Peter that so many of us can relate to, that we get the blessing of his whole life, that we see moments of operating out of fear and insecurity, and we see moments of denial and betrayal. And yet we see this life that truly was becoming and bursting forth that tells us, man, may your faith be like pure gold that it has been tested through and by the fire. And that you strengthen us. And Jesus, that we see you like Hebrews 7.25 tells us that you still to this day intercede on our behalf until the very end praying for us God may we see that look and may that look never become common can we trust you you have already proven that and so Jesus I pray that we would trust you and we would see you looking at us and we pray this in Jesus name